a really quick and exciting announcement to make. The Menopause and Cancer podcast is now also on YouTube, and I'm so excited that more people now get to watch our conversations. So the link to the YouTube channel is in our show notes. Please go and subscribe to the channel so that more people who need to hear our conversations are able to find them. Thank you. Hi, I'm Danny Bennington and welcome to my podcast. This podcast is for anyone who's been affected by cancer and menopause. I'll be speaking to special guests and menopause experts to help us find solutions to our symptoms and of course address the greater picture. We're going to talk about everything from mental health to physical health, sexual health to bone health and everything in between. Nothing is off limits. Welcome. Hey, and welcome to today's episode on the podcast. I'm so glad you're here. I'm really excited to be here that I get to have this conversation for the next half an hour or 45 minutes or so. I'm again imagining what you're doing, whether you are doing your dishes at home, folding your laundry, or perhaps you're out on a walk. Um, Maybe you're sitting down with a nice cup of tea. I'm so glad we're having these conversations together. And I truly always imagine all of you at home being ever so different, coming from different parts of the world, having had different cancer experiences, journeys, diagnoses, and that for this hour or so, once a week, we sort of come together as a group and we discuss things. And I've really always truly imagined that it's not just me talking to this expert. I always ask my community, my Facebook community, what they're experiencing, and then I'm asking the questions to the expert so that it's not just me and my inquisitive mind as such. It's really a collective Q&A session. That's how I like to imagine it. Today on the podcast, we're talking to Nigel Demby. Nigel is such a fantastic, fabulous, lovely man. He's a registered dietitian. He's the author of 10 successful nutrition books. He's a broadcaster across television and radio in the UK and Europe. And he's just such a no-nonsense dietitian that I really thought it would be fantastic to have him on the podcast. What is so great about Nigel, Nigel runs a really big community. It's called um, Harley Street at Home. And within his community, he has helped hundreds and hundreds of women to slowly and methodically and step-by-step change their lifestyle through diet, through exercise, through mindfulness and other tips and tools. And what's so brilliant about nature, he's super interested, obviously, in all the evidence and what science tells us, but he really draws on the expertise of having worked with hundreds and hundreds of people. And that's what he wants to share with us today. So I want to ask him about weight gain. And is it possible to lose weight once we've had a cancer diagnosis, we're in menopause, the weight has increased. You might suddenly think I've got a stone or two more. You might think it's to do with being on an anti-endocrine treatment, or maybe you're not on a long-term anti-endocrine treatment and your weight's just there and you've never shifted it, perhaps since your active treatment. I also want to talk to Nigel about insulin resistance or insulin sensitivity, because I know there is a lot of talk about about that. And I think a lot of women worry about being on an aromatase inhibitor, for example, and what does that do to your insulin sensitivity? And I also want to talk to him and start to talk to him a little bit about IBS and all of the bowel changes that we experience. Because I feel that often when we tune into menopause conversations, they're sort of just left to a little bit of bloating. But I know these IBS of like symptoms or almost the onset of IBS can be really, really, really difficult. And it's much more than a little bit of bloating. And so I want to really discuss all of these three areas with Nigel. And I'm really hoping he will come onto the podcast again to go into more detail about IBS and everything in the future. He's such a helpful chap as well. I just, yeah, I'm so glad and grateful we're having this conversation. Hello, Nigel. I'm so glad I pressed record. Welcome. Lovely to be here. Thanks so much for inviting me. Nigel, I first come across you quite a few years ago when you have started sharing some of your wisdom on social media. 
And I always loved your total no-nonsense approach to diet, to weight loss, to weight gain, whatever it was. And can you tell me a little bit about your background and why you do what you do? Yes, absolutely. So, yeah, I'm a, a registered dietitian. I'm an absolute foodie. Um, I originally trained as a chef before I was a dietitian. So I live to eat. And um, for me, the most important element of any eating plan is that you have to enjoy the food. Uh, from uh, my clinical interest, really, in menopause has been there since, um, gosh, since I trained. It was, I've been working in this field for 25 years. I work alongside uh, Nick Panay, who is probably, you know, almost the king of menopause. And I've learned an awful lot from him. And one of the things that I love right at the beginning was his um, acknowledgement that you know, med medicine and lifestyle have to work hand in hand, uh, whatever the situation is around menopause. And, and you know, we worked uh, when I first started in this area. Uh, that was my real immediate introduction to not everybody suffering from menopause fits the typical criteria. You know, we started working with girls in their teens experiencing menopause as a result of cancer. We have supported so many women who I think, you know, you have to sometimes take a step back and think before we start throwing in all the advice about what you should do. Actually, sometimes what the most important thing is step back and think, where are you in yeah. your journey and your your ability to even hear what I might have to suggest. And sometimes if somebody isn't ready to hear what we might have to suggest, we can back off and talk about that at another time. You know, I think it's yeah. it's a different type of person to deal with. And, and uh, yeah, fascinating. But the menopause, whenever it comes, comes with its own nutritional issues that from a clinical perspective I need to be acutely aware of and that usually falls into four areas so weight is one thing that we know affects nearly half of women uh, experiencing menopause no matter what the cause also we have to think about heart disease uh, we have a big big focus around cancer and menopause and very often we forget about heart disease. Um, mm. We also need to think about bone health. And we also need to think about, and or at least ask about digestive health, because yeah. very often that can be affected or it can change at menopause. And again, in particular, I think for women who have experienced cancer treatments, very often digestive health can be something that is affected as a side effect. Absolutely. For anyone listening at home and they might not know, Dr. Nick Panay runs the Chelsea and Westminster NHS Clinic. And um, yeah, he sees all of these people with subgroups, whether they've had cancer or difficult menopause cases, and he and his team have done amazing things. What I love about talking to you today is not based on a few years of experience like so many mm. dietitians and nutritionists are you've got decades of experience and you you can really see what's worked and what hasn't worked and you understand how difficult it is don't you Nigel it Very is hard yeah when I've worked um, I mean again from a personal perspective my real interest came from my mum and her sisters I remember back in the 1970s watching my mum and her sisters all go through their perimenopause at around the same time. And then uh, I saw them all as well experiment with HRT. And, and, you know, it was really, I think, for me, looking and thinking, kind of like, how did nature allow this to happen? Mm. Nature's really clever and really good at creating wonderful things. And yet women have to go through this. And then, of course, later on, I sort of learned, well, actually, nature really never intended us to live through it. But, you know, in general terms, to go through a, a natural, if you like, menopause at around 46, 47, maybe 50, 
well, nature never really expected us to live that long. So it didn't yeah. worry that it can be a bit rocky because most people weren't going to experience it. Now, of course, again, we live into our 80s and 90s. Many women will live longer mm. in a menopausal state than they did in their fertile years. So we've had to watch yeah. We've had to learn. And it's great we've got this dialogue now. I'm thrilled that so many people are willing to say the word menopause. Unfortunately, though, as the dialogue gets louder, of course, more utter garbage comes into the conversation. And we've got lots and lots of people telling you they've got the answer to managing your symptoms, to uh, leading women to walking along with handbags, rattling full of supplements that are probably not going to do them any good at all. So my mission, if you like, has always been, let's just cut through the caca and leave people with the evidence because... Mm. Um, lot, again, lots and lots of people love quoting this trial, that trial. Yes. I always think, first of all, if you've got to listen to somebody talking about this trial or that trial, they're referencing those because they haven't got anything else to reference mm. their advice on. Mm. You know, my job is to take uh, mountains of evidence yes. and convert that into information that women can incorporate into their own lives little tiny pieces and single studies using small groups of people are interesting. They're not public health information. And I think that's what my job is, is to give people the broad facts. Um, Mm. And then when I work with someone on a one-to-one basis, we can really get down to the minutiae. Mm. Mm. And of course, it's a big transition to go through naturally. And you say nature perhaps hasn't intended for us to live so many years beyond that menopausal state. Most women listening to us today, nature has been messed with. Like we have had chemo thrown in and that might have stopped our ovaries working or radiotherapy or surgery has thrown us into menopause really early. Perhaps anyone listening is on an aromatase inhibitor or on tamoxifen and we're really struggling with perhaps the side effects of medication, as well as being put into this menopausal state early. And then we don't even know who to tune into, what information is relevant to us. Do we tune into the general menopause conversation? If someone is put on lots of weight, for example, do I tune into Nigel, who deals with loads of women? Does it work for me in the same way? Or do do I need to address my situation differently? And what I love about you is you know every woman is different I know you've worked with hundreds of people Mm. and you can give general advice and at the same time you always say and when you've chatted on social media to know me for example you always make sure every woman understands she's very unique and her case is special and she's different and yeah A hundred percent. And the reasons that women are perhaps struggling with weight or perhaps not eating as well as they know they ought to are unique. Those sometimes those will be physical, they'll be social, they'll be psychosocial. You know, we all have emotional relationships with food. Some of us have long term chronic medical conditions, things like alterations in our thyroid function, polycystic ovarian syndrome, all of which can have a huge impact on the way somebody's weight is controlled. Then we've also got women who have had um, treatment for acute conditions and the treatment itself has left them less able to manage their weight or the long-term management has impacted the way that weight can be managed. And again, also, uh, when we we talk about bone health, for instance, how many women have had to use steroids for various treatments and the bone thinning aspects of those, all kinds of different um, implications, which mean, again, when we're chatting like this, a lot of the information we have to give is relatively general because you can't go into each and every person's individual circumstances. But that doesn't mean it's not effective. Yeah, When we talk about eating more fruit and veg, every single one of us needs to do that. And why might we need to do it? Well, it fills us up. 
for one thing. So if you are trying to manage your weight, eating more fruit and veg is going to load up your intake of soluble fiber and help keeping you keep you feeling fuller. That's one little thing. But we absolutely know the reason driving the five a day message is to boost our intake of antioxidant vitamins and minerals. Those antioxidants are the very vitamins and minerals that leap in and protect your body cells from the damage from free radicals, pollution, all the nasty stuff that goes with modern life. And it's free radicals that are identified as one of the beginnings of cancers. So the cancer protective element of antioxidants is proven. There's no doubt about that. And the reality is we have a public health message of eat five a day. The reality is it should be nine a day. But so few of us are even getting close to five that this target has been set at five. Interesting. Really, though, simple, simple things, again, of just eating a rainbow. The more colours that you can get in your fruit and veg, the colours come, the pigmentation of fruit and vegetables is derived from the type of antioxidants that are in there. So the more colours you eat, the bigger the variation of protection you have from different types of antioxidants. So such a a simple message that I think sometimes it's not as sexy as take this turmeric supplement and you'll, you know, you'll get um, beautiful quiet full night sleep and what have you or drink this tea and you'll be the answer to all of your weight controls or gather these mushrooms at 6am with the morning dew on them that's sexy but it's hype you know eating more fruit and veg a day is science and it works but of course putting these things into action is never easy and that's again where I think the skill of uh, someone who helps people improve their lifestyle comes and it's a bit like selling cars Danny you know if you Mm. take the concept of eating more fruit and veg a lot of people don't really want to do it my job is to sell it to them to really (laughs) make them feel like I need to do that it's something I want to do And I've often described it. If you imagine me selling my message of eating fruit and veg stood on a secondhand car lot, you know, I want everyone (laughs) to invest in a Rolls Royce um, in terms of, you know, lots of fruit and veg, lots of different colours. A lot of people in terms of their effort that they want to put in want to invest in that beaten up old banger on the, (laughs) the... If I can get them to leave in a reasonably good secondhand family car, I've done pretty good. So again, my thought is, if you don't get to nine, it doesn't matter. But if you only eat three portions of fruit and veg a day now, and we could get you up to five, that's brilliant. I'm thrilled with that. It's not about perfection. You know, this is how nutrition and weight is often sold on Instagram, that Mm. it's about the perfect body. Mm. And it's about, you know, everything being organic, and that it's all got to come in, you know, in super expensive, elitist packaging. That isn't it at all. It's just about, it's not about being perfect. It's about being better. And for a long time, I thought if I have a piece of cake or a chocolate bar, that would destroy my perfect diet. And that's so not true. And I'm so glad I understand that now because it doesn't take away the fact that I've had loads of fruit and vegetables and other whole foods and there's beans and legumes in that same week. It doesn't take away from the fact I've just added the piece of cake because I really enjoyed it. And it didn't sort of negate all the good efforts I was making. A hundred percent. We have to start thinking about good and bad diets. There's no such thing as good and bad foods. Cake is beautiful. So is, you know, um, a really beautifully cooked hamburger is delicious if you eat meat. But so too are fruits and veg. And if we can mix all of this in a balanced way, 
And this is where, again, the, um, the difficulty in lifestyle and diet and exercise comes in. If somebody smokes or drinks lots of alcohol, they can decide I'm going to stop smoking. So essentially, you either do or you don't. Mm. Exercise and diet is something we have to do forever. And mm. therefore, it's really hard to be so black and white about it. Yes. And that's why I say just focus on being better. If you want to manage your weight, for instance, you might leap on to quite a tough regime because let's get this over with. Let's get it done as quickly as possible and then I can get back to normal. No, it doesn't work like that. If you're struggling with your weight, when it comes to menopause, there's going to be a several things that are involved here. It might be that the estrogen that you're losing is changing the way your body lays down fat. So you yeah. might find you're gaining weight around your middle and your trunk area much more than you did before. Your metabolic rate is probably slowing down a little. You might be taking medications which are having an impact also on the way your body processes energy. Those are all factors. They're not just reasons. And there will always be, no matter how many factors are in your case, there will also be what's your bit in this. What choices are you making that are not helping this? And they might be things you were doing before cancer or before menopause. But we have to now have a reality check. You can't get away with that anymore. Mm. And that's so what needs to change. Mm. So let's put ourselves into the scenario of someone who's been eating relatively well. She probably does her five portions of fruit and vegetables in a day. Mm -hmm. We're in menopause now after a cancer diagnosis, perhaps we're on, on an anti-hormone treatment and suddenly the weight is piling on. We're thinking we've got an okay diet. Yeah. Where do we even start to... It's first so thing, frustrating at first, isn't it? And I know abs- women who even want to come off the anti-endocrine treatment because they've put on two stone, they say overnight, they say they haven't changed anything, and they feel really, really upset by it, not themselves. Absolutely. And I think that's it's absolutely reasonable to be upset about it. What we've got to do is see, right, what are all the factors that are involved? So we need to look at what treatment you're on and actually see... How much of a real impact is that having? What we also need to do there is see what it is that you're doing. And that means doing quite a lengthy and detailed food and activity diary for at least three or four days. And we need to Mm. see what your patterns are. And the first things I'm looking for is note the time that you're eating. How regularly are you eating? If you're going for long periods without eating, you haven't got a hope. You have got to eat regularly in order to manage hunger and your portion sizes and also to get all of the nutrients in that your body needs. If you're not taking um, hormone replacement therapy, your bones aren't getting any protection. So you've got to get or your calcium in you if you're not taking hormone replacement therapy you're not getting any protection against heart disease so we've got to look at things like omega-3s whole grains those fruit and veg again that is absolutely going to have to come from nutrient dense regular meals and snacks so we look for regularity then we look at what is it you actually are eating and how much of that is cooked from scratch do your plates look a bit beige? No, no colours there. That would be a sign. Let's get your fruit and veg up. What is the balance of your food groups like on the plate? Is it predominantly fruit and veg or are you very carb heavy? Are you carb phobic? Are you terrified of eating carbs and thinking you can't? What's the balance of your proteins like throughout the week? Are you having a really good variety so you're getting all your essential minerals? And of course, what's the quantity? One of the things I really see an awful lot of is women who don't eat very much throughout the day then sitting yeah. down in the evening and eating the meal a meal the same size as their 18-year-old son. Nah, you can't mm. do that. You need less mm. and you need to spread it out throughout the day. If you eat when you're ravenous, you will eat quickly and you will eat until you're stuffed. What we need to do is eat when we're hungry. 
eat slowly and mindfully so that Mm. we just eat until we're satisfied, not stuffed. That is a really difficult thing to do, but it is the key to being able to eat all the things you love, but in a balanced, measured way that allows you then to take control of the emotional aspects of food. Because I want to see in your diary as well, how do you eat in different situations? If you're in the car, if you're at the office, if you're with your mate who loves to give you cake, if you're on your own, what happens? Mm. And also what happens with your mood if you're feeling lonely, depressed, bored, excited, what happens with your food? Now we're beginning to have a look at at an individual's food and activity diary. And now it's becoming really easy to see, right, what do we need to change? Yeah. And actually listening to you, I'm thinking, gosh, so much has changed for a cancer patient. And often we think all of the changes happened from the outside. We have undergone treatment and we probably expect to feel a bit rubbish when we go through chemotherapy. We expect to lose our hair. But what we don't expect is perhaps the fatigue to linger for quite as long as it did or as it does. And what we don't expect is for some of our treatments to give us really bad bone ache. And, you know, I, you know, I'm so passionate about teaching my weekly yoga classes. Mm -hmm. And often Mm -hmm. we feel so stiff and our joints really, really hurt that we don't want to move. So perhaps we become a little bit less mobile and that will change how we're eating because we don't have more time to sit more and often when we sit more we snack more so it's fascinating what you say because you're talking very much about how when why with whom and all of that we eat it's not just what's on our plate is it no and food goes beyond what we eat goes way beyond nutrition it's a social yeah. element it is a comfort element we learn a relationship with food and you may well have heard lots of people during your treatment saying to you oh, don't worry now eat whatever you like this is a time you don't need to worry about weight you know and and particularly if you've had treatments which have changed your taste um perception if you've um, you know suddenly found that all you wanted was sweet stuff or salty stuff you might well actually be carrying on a lot of that despite the fact that treatment's way behind you now and let's not forget as well for a lot of people experiencing cancer and the treatment is traumatic and sometimes again it can mean that we get into a pattern of eating, drinking, or exercising in a way that pre-cancer we would never really have mm. been comfortable with. But we can, at some stage, I think it's a whenever I've I've worked with individuals um, on a one-to-one basis who have been through cancer, often I say, you know, we have to really get a feel and understand where you are with this. But we also at some point need to say, right, okay, that is now a historical event. Yeah. And we are now, it happened, and it's crap that it happened to you, you know? But you're on the other side of that now. And now it's thinking, okay, how do we move forward from here? Mm. And that probably means changing some of the things that it was okay to do when you Mm. were in the last phase of it but Mm. this this is a new phase now this is now yeah yeah and this is about saying right how am I in my I'm rebuilding now Mm. and and what am I going to do for that it's not about eating an anti-cancer diet moving Mm. forward if you just Mm. eat well that's the anti-cancer diet eating well exercising self-care really making sure that you are at the further up the list of priorities. That's yeah. the anti-cancer diet. Mm-hmm. You don't need mm-hmm. anything else. But doing that in a way that you can sustain for the rest of your life is a challenge. And it's going to take a bit of time. Mm. You don't have to do it all at once. You can build this slowly. I, I've been running a program for a long time, a 12-week program for anyone in menopause. And the aim of that is every individual Mm. builds their own program. It isn't about you're with us for 12 weeks and you've got to reach a target weight by then. 
this is about working out what do you want to get out of this you know do you want to lose some weight do you just want to get fitter do you Mm. finally want to clean up your diet Mm. or do you want to just learn about self-care you can do whatever you want and Mm. you can focus on the area of your lifestyle toolkit that feels most appealing at the beginning Mm. build your confidence up you know start to feel like I I'm worth this I can do this then you can add something else in and add something else in so that by the end of the 12 weeks hopefully it's not a case if you've got way to your target you you just know what it is you need to do and you believe that you can do it yeah, That's with the help and support, right? Because sometimes we think we need to pull all these things out of the World Wide Web at three o'clock in the morning and we need to come up with all these plans ourselves, which is really difficult to do when you are the patient, the woman affected. It's okay to have some help and relearning how we eat. And why not, right? Why we have wouldn't you. Why, Nobody, yeah. You know, you are the expert on you. Mm. Nobody knows Mm. you and what you want and what you're willing to do better than you do. I am an expert on nutrition. Together, we become a team. That's how this has to work. Similarly, I don't teach you about exercise. I have my team that do that. (laughs) Um, I don't teach you about the psychology of reframing your thinking. I bring in an expert to help me do that. Mm. And this is where... I think it's like laying out a huge, great smorgasbord of lifestyle elements that you can pick and choose from. And the beauty is you can, you know, I know you're passionate about yoga, Danny, Mm. but if somebody doesn't want to do yoga, they try it and they don't like it, but they find another way to do restorative exercise. You don't Wonderful. I don't know. No. Do what you need to do. You do what you like to do because that's what you're going to carry on doing. Exactly. Um, And we we need to do the same with nutrition. Well, very recently, there was a lot of conversation about weight loss and calories. And you probably would have heard, was it Dr. Tim Spector was in Mm. a conversation and he said, you don't need to go into a calorie deficit or something like that. But how do we do it? Do you believe we need to go into a calorie deficit? If I'm afraid I do, I, you I do, just yeah, because but yeah. what I don't want to see women doing is counting calories. I'm afraid we do know that if you're going to lose weight, you are going to need to consume fewer calories. There is just no smoke and mirrors around that, but there are different ways you can do it. You can't, you can do that just by eating less. You can also, though, do it by increasing your in-calorie requirements, by building a little more muscle tissue. And you can do it if you're going to save some calories. There are lots of different ways of doing that. Again, if you've done your diary and you see, I don't really eat anything at lunchtime and I don't get dinner till about seven o'clock. But before dinner, I've had a glass of wine. I'm eating on some peanuts whilst I'm cooking dinner. Then I sit down and eat quite a big dinner. And then I start looking for chocolate. Well, now we can start to see actually from about seven till bedtime, Mm -hmm. you're consuming most of the 2000 calories a day you're eating. Actually, Mm -hmm. if we just spread that back over the day and manage your portion sizes, we can, A, take all that nonsense in your head away, but we can also quite easily probably save two or 300 calories by doing Mm -hmm. that. That's, you do need a calorie deficit. Mm -hmm. There's no two ways about it. Do the people in your community or the women you help, do they manage that without having to track all their food? Absolutely. You can. Um, Okay. I don't want anybody tracking calories or um, what I do want people doing is, is setting themselves goals for change. Now, again, Mm -hmm. that might just mean that your goal for lunch, for instance, is a, you're going to have it. Mm -hmm. B, when you do, it has your plate has half of it filled with fruit and vegetables, half of quarter with protein, a quarter with carbs. 
I don't care what the, the actual foods are. Let's just use the groups. Mm-hmm. Then we need to think, well, that total plate of foods would fit into your cupped hands. That's a great portion size if you've got those quarters right. Then you're going to sit at a table properly. You're not going to stand anywhere. You're not going to be out in the street. You're going to sit down and eat mindfully. That means slowly. You might even have to set a clock on your phone to say you're going to take more than five minutes to eat your lunch. And you're going to do it without devices. You're going to focus on eating. And when you've finished that plate, you're going to stop. And now you're going to check in with yourself and see, am I still hungry? If you're genuinely hungry, you need to go and have something else. If you're not, that's the end of eating. There's nothing in there about counting calories. See, the process sounds harder work than preparing the food because I'm preparing that plate. I'm, it's very, it's okay to do, but to actually sit down and eat mindfully and take that time out for yourself, that is a big challenge alone, isn't it, for a lot it, of people? It really is. But it's a lot nicer than eating a diet shake for lunch and then trying oh, gosh, to get yeah. through the afternoon. And and again, you know, my version, my approach to doing this, it's not sexy. It's not a quick no. fix. It's mm. not something you can go into boots and buy off the shelf. This is something that is getting, as the program is called, back to basics. To basics, yeah. No, I have never worked, Danny, with somebody with a weight issue who's just greedy or lazy. I have worked with people who have got into habits that don't work for them. And my job. Thank you. Thank you for saying that, because I also feel sometimes people get out of cancer treatment. Menopause is that really annoying side effect that A, no one talks about and B, no one asks for and C, is a real surprise and it's the gift that keeps on giving. Mm-hmm. And then we actually, many women think that they're weak because now they've put on weight and and that they're weak because they don't exercise as much, but actually their medication gives them really bad joint take. And so it's validating that this isn't all just our fault. Sometimes life just takes us a certain way and whatever we used to do doesn't work anymore or it works against us actually. Yeah. And we need to stop and rethink and be methodical about it, don't we? We really do. And we also need to know that, you know, I'm really sorry, but this is going to take some effort Mm. and it is going to be a little bit uncomfortable to begin with, because whenever you change anything, there's a degree of discomfort until it starts to feel normal. You know, mm. if you change where you keep your tea towels in your kitchen, you're going to keep going back to the old place <laughs> until you get used to the new one. This is the same thing. If you start your day every day with a cup of coffee and a donut, you're going to feel more like that's what you want to do, even if you know it doesn't do you any good, rather than having some, you know, a nice juice and some muesli and some Greek yogurt and lovely fruit. But eventually you do that and you work at doing that for long enough. It will very quickly become that, you know, the idea of the coffee and the donut is repugnant after just a few weeks. So with having worked with hundreds and hundreds of women, do you feel it's absolutely possible to change that lifestyle to lose that weight and keep it off without a doubt oh I I challenge I have never worked with anyone who can't improve their diet and their lifestyle never Mm. again I don't choose to work with movie stars because I'm not looking for perfection and I'm not looking for, you know, that killer target weight and we've got to get there. That's what other, you know, other nutritionists can do that. I like to work with real women living real lives and understand the challenges that they face, but help them reach a point where they feel when they look at that food and activity diary, that's all right. I'm quite happy mm. with that. And it's, mm. I'm, I'm, I think the thing we always have to ask is when you look at the result of anything that you do with lifestyle, you've got to match up the result with the effort. And if this is going to be something that feels like purgatory and misery, 
you might get a great result, but you will not keep it going forever. So yeah. the changes that you make all need to, it's really useful to ask yourself, do I think I could do that forever? And if you can't, simplify it, make it a little bit easier. You might build on that once you've got the first run under your, your belt. Mm. But really just look and think, you know, um, about taking it in steps. Give yourself mm. a break. You've been through enough. Mm. Don't make this bit another ball mm. You really don't have, you know, you don't have to do it that way. And you deserve mm. something better than that. Because apart from not feeling great when we've suddenly put on weight and we feel we've not done anything different, many women often worry about, gosh, I've got too much weight. Is that another cancer risk then? So we've gone through cancer. We're now we've put on weight and then women think, oh, my gosh, is this is this going to increase my risks of more cancers? Because we know obesity is a cause towards cancer. And so it's this vicious cycle of anxiety as well with you know the anxiety sort of almost carries us through the weight gain and the weight loss as well it's such an emotional topic it really is and the, again the reality is that yes there is an increased risk uh, as you gain weight especially if you're gaining weight around the middle that that's uh um, increases your risk of insulin resistance. And then we see markers of things like the metabolic syndrome. The reality again is you don't need to get down to being a size eight if you lose 10% of your starting weight. The benefits to your health go through the roof. I mean, it's, wow. it, it mm. is life-changing what 10% weight loss can do. And I always say, let's, let's lose 10% first and then see if you want to lose a bit more. If you do, mm. that's great. If you actually look and think, you know, I can keep this going and I think I could keep that 10% off at this rate, I'll take that. Mm, that's fascinating to think 10% rather than I need to lose two stone. That is a totally different mindset, expectation, working towards, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And again, this isn't just me saying that. We know that sort of weight loss will significantly reduce your blood pressure if you have high cholesterol, some of those cancer indicators, your risk of your, your insulin sensitivity, those things are real. Mm. Explain to me insulin sensitivity. What's the problem with that? Because I'm not sure we all understand the same thing when you mention it. Sure. So insulin is our hormone that the pancreas produces to help control blood sugar level. If you remember, blood sugars are your fuel. It's like putting petrol in your car. We get Blood sugars, predominantly when we consume carbohydrates, we must eat carbohydrates to maintain blood, good blood sugar levels. If we eat something that's quite high in carbohydrates, that will cause our blood sugars to rise quite, quite depending which what we've eaten quite quickly. So if you eat the donut for breakfast, your blood sugars are going to spike quite quickly. If you're not using that energy immediately, insulin is reduced because it's not good news to have high blood sugars. Insulin is produced to mop up those blood sugars and take them away and store them. One of the problems we have is when we don't really store blood sugar very efficiently as sugar. We store it as fat. So the insulin comes along, mops up, the excess blood sugar takes it away and changes it into fat. When we become insulin or, or our sensitivity is to insulin is not good, we should be able to switch off insulin when we bring those blood sugars back down. But when you're not very sensitive, you don't. So you keep pumping more insulin into the system. Then it's looking for any little bit of blood sugar you can find and you start to become a fat storing machine. Oh, wow. And of course, the more fat you gain, the less sensitive you become. And it's this vicious downward cycle. And very often people will go on to de develop type 2 diabetes. 
And is this something that happens more naturally in menopause anyway, with or without a cancer diagnosis? We think it does. But what we also have to take into account is at menopause anyway, 50% of women gain a kilo and a half every year of their perimenopause and in total gain 10 kilos over their perimenopause with or without a cancer diagnosis. That is what we see. And all of those women tend to gain that 10 kilos around the middle. So their bras don't fit, their blouses don't fit anymore, trousers don't fit anymore, and their risk of insulin sensitivity decreases as a result. So along with, so absolutely, this is a universal Mm. issue. Mm. And very often your cancer treatment is just another element of that. Another factor. It's not the cause on its own. Mm -hmm. And for that reason, we absolutely can manage it. Mm. But we have to be grown-ups about this and we have Mm. to understand all of the elements that are involved, including your bit. And I think it's really important as well that we have to manage expectations that, yes, your uh, tamoxifen, for instance, makes it more difficult, but it doesn't make it impossible. Mm. So, too, if someone has polycystic ovarian syndrome or an underactive thyroid, those things make it more difficult, Mm. but not impossible. It is fascinating how we change anyway. And I think what you've just done is really validated for anyone who has put on weight. It's very often to think it's just me. It's very Mm. easy to think that it's just me. I'm the only one. I'm the only one who is five years after her active cancer treatment. Yes, I'm taking this little white tablet, but actually I'm feeling horrendous on it and I've put on weight. But what you're saying is it happens to women going through the perimenopause and menopause naturally as well. And so it's something we've all got to address cancer on not no cancer. Absolutely. And it happens to men as well. You know, Mm. I've battled my own way all of my life and Mm. I'm 54 now and Mm. it is harder to manage it now than it's ever been. Mm. Um, And I just can't get away with doing (laughs) things that I I could do 10 years ago for sure. And I definitely cannot get away with thinking it doesn't matter whether I go for a walk today. You know, I've got it does all the time. Um, And I'm certainly not perfect, you know. Mm. And uh, so, yeah, you know, but I do think absolutely it is. There is an additional element for women at perimenopause and menopause, without doubt. Add in that cancer diagnosis plus treatments. And that's uh, it's another factor. Mm. I want to ask you about IBS, not to have the whole conversation now, but really as a starting point, perhaps for another whole episode, because I know it's a really big thing. Do you hear from all the women you speak to that their digestive health changes, their bowels change, that they have almost a feeling that there is an IBS sort of onset of symptoms like that? Is that very common? Because I hear it a lot and women never know whether it's to do with the cancer treatment they've been on, or it's menopause, or it's just them? Categorically, yes, absolutely. And again, very similar to the weight issue. So we see it in women uh, through menopause for whatever the cause. And often, I would say, we see women who have had a historical issue of poor digestive health, things like when we think about the symptoms with bloating, changes in bowel habits, urgency, abdominal pain, constipation, diarrhea, gas, mucus in your stools, and a feeling of incomplete evacuation. You go for a poo and you just don't feel like you're finished. So those are all the symptoms. Very often women will present having experienced a a natural menopause and say, I've always had trouble with my digestion, but it's changed at menopause. That's one thing we see. We see other women who have never had an issue before suddenly saying, now I'm bloating, I'm getting pain, I'm I'm constipated, whatever it might be. 
add into that potential surgery, radiotherapy, chemo, and the potential for changes to digestion to digestion mm. are phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. And can they last, Nigel? Can these changes last? Because I think sometimes women struggle years after their active treatment and they still don't feel right. They absolutely can. And it can wow. be, yeah, something that won't fix itself unless you take action. But there are, again, lots of different things you can do. So we always look and see, well, what's going on um, from a microbiome, the gut bacteria point of view. Um, and very often things like chemo or surgery can really have an impact on your microbiome. So that needs to be looked at and where necessary, a clinical sort of probiotic really can be very useful. And uh, so that's one thing. We need to look at what's gone on mechanically. Very often, if someone's had surgery, their large intestine doesn't quite work as well as it should. And we might find things like simple things like abdominal massage can help there. It may be that your ability to deal with certain foods, particularly some of the fermentable types of carbohydrates, what we call FODMAPs, can be uh, can need investigating. You really need to do that with the help of a dietitian. There are three phases to the diet: an exclusion phase, reintroduction, and then the long-term um, plan. And then also, how is your level of stress and anxiety? Yes, yeah. We may well need to look at some mindfulness some meditation some yoga to just help you relax because um again as we said this is this is a big deal and yeah. you may be living with a level of stress and anxiety that you've got used to but actually wasn't part of you before mm. cancer mm. and now we need to look at just actually managing that a little bit uh, better so absolutely just like the weight yes totally solvable totally fixable but it's not a one-size-fits-all approach and how long do you think do we have because I think often timing is the real sort of problem with our expectations how long do you think from your experience does it take if someone comes to you with really bad IBS symptoms how long does it take for someone to get back on track and to just to manage someone's expectations. Is it weeks or? I would normally allow uh, three to six months. Okay. To put that right. So if anyone is listening, for them to really understand, this is a process we have to go on, isn't it? This You're is, in yeah. it for the long haul. Yeah. But yeah. absolutely, you know, three to six months out of a much longer period is uh, pretty good going. Once you're on the other side of that, and you're able to manage this well, well, my goodness, you know, that three to six months is just Doesn't gone. feel much. I'd love to talk to you loads more about gut health and IBS and digest. Shall we do a whole episode on that? We really that should. would be wonderful. Absolutely. For today, thank you so much for your no-nonsense guidance. It's been fantastic to chat, and I'm sure we'll chat soon. Thanks, Danny. So nice to have been invited. Thanks for having me. Now, I hope what you're really going to take away from this conversation is that it is possible to lose weight, should you wish to do so, and it is possible to get on top of your IBS-style symptoms if you are struggling with any of the many symptoms that Nigel has spoken about. What I loved about this conversation and what really got me thinking is that we need to be ever so careful in how we set our aims and what, what we're aiming to do. Sometimes people say, gosh, I'm suddenly a stone or two heavier since I've started on this um, treatment, for example. And I just I'm not I'm eating really well. I'm, I'm moving. I've not changed anything. And I'm suddenly heavier and this much heavier. And the aim is then to lose all of that weight so we get back to normal. But listening to nature and that was a real wake up call for me. It was saying maybe your starting point should be to just lose 10% of where you're at right now. And that seems so much more doable and so much more achievable. And I wonder if the aim is, let's lose 10% of our body weight, whether we're really setting ourselves up for success. If 
the aim though would be and you know i'd be successful once i've lost my one or two stone again then maybe we're really setting ourselves up for a really difficult project and i'm not sure how realistic it is if we want to achieve this within a few months that's probably really unhealthy anyway but if the aim is 10 oh my gosh yeah that's um definitely something that feels a lot more doable and i wonder if you've ever asked yourself the question if it comes to weight gain or weight loss at how you set your aims and your goals and is it that you want your ideal body weight back to how you were when you were 35 or is it that you want your pre-cancer body weight back what is it that you're aiming for and what actually gives you the biggest health benefit because from speaking to nature even 10% can have such a massive benefit i also want to encourage all of us to be more compassionate to ourselves when we talk about weight i think we've all become much better in talking about weight in general but i think in our heads when no one is listening we can be a lot harsher i have almost the opposite to many other people i really struggle with putting on weight i've always been fairly slim and when i'm anxious my appetite goes and i'm probably quite a fidgety person i even now talking to you i talk with my hands so my body is moving i'm up and down the stairs all the time i'm a bit more restless i guess as a person and so for me it's always been hard to put on weight so when i was going through active treatment oh my gosh i bought these little bottles of like astronaut food that had high, like high calorie shakes because i was so worried about losing more weight which i knew i couldn't afford because i felt like i had no buffer to start with and so for me very much the focus is on adding foods that are good for me with a higher calorie intake at times so that i don't feel i'm losing a little bit too much because a couple of times even in the last year people have said to me oh gosh danny you look you look really skinny and they probably meant well because i don't know whether i meant it as a compliment or just a statement i don't know but for me i started to worry because feeling skinny looking skinny is a real trigger point for me it really makes me feel unwell it puts me back to the times when i was actually really unwell it takes me back to the times when i was diagnosed with cancer and so that not having enough weight on my bones is is a trigger conversation and you might be triggered when people talk about their own struggle with weight gain you might think that you're not strong-willed enough because you can't shift all of that stubborn weight but again by listening to nature it's we're not weak we're not um not determined enough it just means you haven't had to help and you haven't embarked on a plan with a little bit of support in losing that weight and perhaps you haven't had the help in someone to helping you really write out your goals what is important to you is it the 10% or is it the losing the two stone and so all of those are really important conversations i guess to have when we talk about weight gain or weight loss how do you talk to yourself how do you talk to others about weight gain weight loss i'm going to email nigel now about putting him in for another podcast episode i'd love to talk to him in a lot more detail about ibs i think today he really acknowledged for us that it can be really tricky and it's really common to have almost like ibs style symptoms when we are pushed into menopause after cancer and so i'd love to elaborate much more on that with nature i think he'd be a brilliant guest to talk about that in more detail but for now maybe um as a little what can you do after the podcast so that it's not just a listening podcast it becomes a doing and take action podcast i wonder whether you've ever done a food diary 3 or 4 days really writing down where you're at what are you eating when are you eating your meals and your snacks when's your first meal of the day when is your last meal of the day and by looking at it i am sure we all can think and spot a few opportunities of how we could improve how we are eating whilst i was chatting to nigel and whilst he was explaining i thought you know what i often make for the children snack bowls and in those snack bowls i put in at least 6 or 7 
different fruits, vegetables, nuts. Um, I put in apple and peanut butter or celery sticks and peanut butter. I cut up sl slithers of cheese. I put in a handful of nuts. I put in loads of different things, cucumber, slices of peppers. And the kids often, when they're peckish, they say, mom, can you make me a snack bowl? And I always do, and I always enjoy it. And I just have to remind myself to make those snack bowls for myself as well, because it's much easier almost to look after other people and do all these lovely things for them. And it's much harder to establish these healthy and kind and gorgeous routines for ourselves. But I'm going to do that right now. As soon as I press stop, record this podcast, and I'm going to go down into the kitchen and I'm going to make myself a lovely snack bowl which is lovely and as Nigel says if we could get up to nine different portions of fruit and vegetables every single day that would be amazing wouldn't it um, perhaps our little three to four day food diary can help us assess where we're at with that I really hope it's been a helpful episode again and that you find a few points of conversations for yourself in how you want to take this conversation forward chat to you next week <music>